You're listening to Renew Economy's weekly podcast, an update on clean energy and climate policy. With Renew Economy's editor, Giles Parkinson, leading energy market analyst, David Leach. Hello and welcome to Renew Economy's uh, weekly energy podcast. Uh, my name's Giles Parkinson. I'm uh, talking to you from the north coast of New South Wales and joining me is David Leach in Sydney. How are you, David? Uh, very well, thanks, Giles, and glad to chat again. Indeed. Look, the exciting thing is that um, this, I think this is our first podcast done um, at night time, thanks to the end of daylight saving. And I'm going to apologise straight up for having a bit of a cold on coming. So if I sound a bit um, coldy or fluey, um, that's the reason. Look, we've got a lot to talk about this week, um, about solar storage, about our big solar conference and a couple of important events happening next week. I'm going to start, though, right at the big end of the town um, on a consumer issue and um, the poor, oppressed um, household consumer person who actually turns out to be you, David. Now, um, you um, were looking this week or last week or whenever it was to... Um, expand your rooftop solar system which I understand to be about four kilowatts now you're in suburban Sydney you're looking to increase it by another couple of kilowatts and you've got a nasty surprise or a nasty shock we should say in the energy world um what happened well Giles it's that's the thing for the actual analyst you write all these numbers down on a spreadsheet and then you go down and put them into practice and you find out the devil's in the detail and, and what I found out first of all was this the new national standard that's coming in uh, which basically limits single phase PV to five kilowatts. I'm not saying whether that's a good or a bad thing, but that is the new standard that's coming in. As a result of that, if you're a high uh, consumption household, as I am, and you want to put a battery in, it means you're going to face additional costs of either moving to three-phase power or finding a way around this five kilowatt limit. And yeah, look, um, and, and, and just to sort of clarify, I think I think that the way that the battery storage works, it's the AC um, batteries, um, which are such as the Tesla Powerwall, the Enphase batteries, and possibly even the Selectronic ones, they're the ones that um, actually put people over that limit. Um, so yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, over five kilowatts of solar, just solar, will, will cause problems. Um, and solar plus battery storage that amounts to, or that totals more than five kilowatts, will also cause problems. Now, we understand, apparently, that some networks are going to impose this and some networks aren't, and there's a lot of confusion. But what's the end result for people like you, then, when they do impose it? And I think your network operator is saying it is imposing this limit. Well, Charles, firstly, I'd like to give a big shout-out to, firstly, the Enphase microinverters that I have that let me measure my uh, solar PV output fairly accurately on a day-by-day or even five-minute basis, and secondly, to AGL, which has actually put in it. I'm an AGL retail customer at the moment. They've put in one of these time-of-use communicating meters, so I'm able to actually download my half-hourly consumption for the last year and build up my load profile. Now, I'll admit you have to be relatively good at Excel, and quite uh, uh, to, to actually use the AGL data. But, you know, the information we all have available to us is way better than a couple of years ago. I'm not sure what my solution's going to be yet. I'm going to have to do some more work on it. I'm not going to make any bold predictions. I will say I've got some very informed commentary uh, by writing the note on renewed economy. There's clearly a lot of experts who know, know quite a bit about it, and that's the great community that we live in. Indeed, indeed. In fact, we had a follow-up story today from Glenn Morris from the Australian Storage Council and uh, one of the leading lights in the um, energy storage ones. And 
he was suggesting this um, putting in a, um, a UPS, an uninterruptible power system, which is essentially a new switchboard. And you put a bunch of your circuits on the, um, on the house on this new switchboard and you add your new solar and your battery storage on this different switchboard and basically you're taking half the house off grid. Now, overall you're staying connected to the grid, but this part, these circuits, this new switchboard is actually invisible to the networks and it seems that some of these networks don't actually mind. And so it's sort of this, this really interesting um, idea of, of taking part of your house off grid and then maybe later on at some stage in timing you, you might take it all off the grid. But we've actually had another story this week, which is interesting, from Michael Mobbs, the sustainability um, guy who called himself the off-grid guy, and he lives in a tiny um, inner-city terrace in, in Sydney. He decided um, he cut the links to the um, to the sewerage and the um, and the water uh, yeah, about tw- 20 years ago, and two years ago he put in um, more solar or, um, and battery storage and, and an inverter and decided to go off-grid as well, but it hasn't actually turned out very well for him. Um, he's got all sorts of interruptions, he doesn't feel he's got enough power, um, he's very frustrated, he wants to change the system, he's calling for tenders and ideas about what he should do. But to me, it really actually sort of um, struck, a, struck a chord because here's a guy that kind of looked at what he was going to do, but he still fell into pitfalls. And I guess it's a bit of a salutary lesson to people to be really very careful, particularly if you're going to go off-grid within the city, you've got to think about a lot of things. You've got to make sure that you're equipment that you're buying is um, the right equipment to go off grid you've got to make sure that you've got enough power um, to get through some rainy days I mean his problem was over the last few weeks in Sydney he's actually had to turn off his fridge during the day um, to sort of keep what he calls a civilized life at night time so um, many pitfalls and, and I do recommend that people if they haven't read that story do read the story because it's um, it's a salutary lesson and once again the comments on it are really really interesting well, Giles, I don't see that most inner city or even res- large city residential customers are ever going to have much sense going off grid. I think it'll be a very disappointing outcome if that if that's the case. The grid uh, exists for all exists, and it's for all of our benefits, and we ought to be able to share the electricity around. Um, I saw the 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 SP Osnet street that we talked about last week, where all the houses communicate to keeping the other houses going, and I'm, I'm absolutely certain that that's a better model for the for the city the other thing about this and my own investigations is the is the markups in the industry you know the um, um, tesla powerwall 2 uh, 9000 battery theoretically for whatever eight and a half thousand if it ever turns up but turns into eleven and a half thousand by the time it's installed uh, seems to be a lot of margin in that but so we shouldn't get too bogged down on these things but it just shows that the difference between you know uh, modeling in abstract and, and the reality of getting things done Absolutely, and I have to agree with that idea about um, um, it is best to um, share the grid. Um, the grid is um, probably the cheapest battery you can find, um, certainly right now. Um, it'll be interesting, though. I guess the issue is going to be in five or ten years whether the grid does remain as the cheapest um, battery, and I guess that'll be the uh, challenge facing the networks as we go along and as costs of both solar and storage continue to fall. Well, Giles, you know, the grid's got fantastic opportunities to reduce its costs. We've already remarked that, say, in South Australia, there's a 200-year lease that SA Power Networks has that enables them to recover that fixed cost every year. But, you know, that's, that's, that could change potentially at some stage and, and the, the grid costs could actually fall a long way over time. Mm-hmm, indeed. Hey, look, let's move along. Um, Renew Economy and Informers will co-hosted a large-scale solar conference in Sydney this week. Um, it was a great turnout. We had some great speakers. And um, I'm going to ask you what um, your big takeaways of it were. Um, but... I guess I'm going to say I'm going to put in my takeaways first, 
And one was this um, one about the falling cost of solar. Um, that was obviously um, one big thing. Two was a lot of them thinking about storage, um, weren't too sure how it was going to work and was very interested in the costs and how that might be configured. Three, they were very interested in how much solar you put into one place and what happens to the wholesale price when that happens. And fourth, I think, was just, um, there's a few people mentioned it, the guy from Arena, the guy from Bloomberg New Energy Finance, um, the guy from the Clean Energy Finance Corporation, um, and another. And they were just talking about this gradual, or and what could actually be quite a rapid transition, from this old paradigm of base load and peak load to this new sort of dispatchable and flexible generation where you actually have your um, a lot of your uh, power coming from wind and solar. And we'll get to some interesting numbers that you've got later on, or maybe you want to introduce them now. And that's sort of filled in by what's called dispatchable power. Um, now, whether that happens to be gases, many people think, or whether it happens to be battery storage and other forms of storage, pumped hydro or solar thermal, we, I guess we're yet to see. But it was interesting to hear that sort of change in discussion, and um, I found that really interesting. David, what were your big takeaways? Well, I was busy working, Giles, and I'm just interested. What uh, I didn't actually hear what those guys were saying about what the installed cost of uh, the levelised cost of electricity for, uh, or the capital cost for, for PV is right now. What were the numbers that struck you now? Not, not, not necessarily what they're talking about in two or three years' time, but what you can do it for today. Well, they were talking about contracts um, written today for um, projects which are completed um, in 2018 um, would be about $75 a megawatt hour and possibly even lower. And we're probably seeing some evidence of that already. And, and that was from Arena, who I find tend to be on a little bit the conservative side of things. Um, we're probably seeing some other people out there with lower prices than that. But if you take that into context with what the current wholesale price of electricity is around the country, and it's quite extraordinary, even this last week, not much demand because there hasn't been hot weather or anything like that. Um, still quite a lot of coal capacity sidelined because it's not needed, but we've still got prices of more than $100 a megawatt hour. And in Victoria, often it's been more than $120 or $140 a megawatt hour. So that's, that's right. So if we look at the actual overnight pool prices, we've definitely seen a lift since Hazelwood closed. And I wouldn't underestimate the impact of that over the next uh, 12 months. The prices are consistently over $100 now. All the times I'm looking at it, I'm sure in the very early hours of the morning they fall below that, but, but you're paying big prices for electricity. That $75 is interesting. It's still, of course, above the number that um, AGL wrote a contract with QIC for the Silverton wind farm, which was a $60-something real price, $65 real price, so it goes up with inflation. Uh, but they're great numbers. And... Uh, uh, I guess what I look to see is that there's a lot of new capacity. My takeaway from the conference is just how much of these new solar there is out there. Every time I go to my list of projects, I get to add one or two to it. And there's a tremendous amount of enthusiasm. And I also was interested to hear Amy Keane from New South Wales talking about the potential for six or seven gigawatts in New South Wales of applications. And it also strikes me that we're going to need transmission infrastructure. One of the big reasons why Texas was so successful at adding uh, 19 gigawatts of wind into its system was that they went ahead and spent US $7 billion a few years ago on new transmission. And I think that's the missing piece here. And it's why I keep coming back to the planning framework and trying to find... We had a guy speak from uh, Transgrid and he talked about transmission. And the fact is the regulatory test, it's another example of where the AMC and COAG and our usual bloody suspects need to get their heads together and work out a way and a big plan to facilitate what's actually happening and make it happen a bit faster and more smoothly.
Absolutely. And it was interesting that Transgrid guy talking about the amount of solar project that had been inquired or sort of proposed or sort of, you know, sort of the ideas floated. And I think he said it was 7,000 megawatts of solar projects in the last year had been sort of, you know, proposed or, or, or whatever in New South Wales. Now, of course, not all of those will get built and maybe not even half of them will get built. But it just shows the level of interest out there um, in solar and at those prices. I'm not surprised. Now, um, we saw another bit of sort of policy making on the run last week, and this is another issue that came up at the conference. Um, this was this deal that uh, Nick Xenophon struck with the uh, coalition government to get their big tax cuts passed, um, or at least a modified version of that. Now, one of the key elements that interests us was the commitment to give $110 million um, on concessional loans to this solar thermal project in um, Port Augusta. Um, this is using these solar towers and molten salt and molten salt storage. Um, personally, I think it's a great idea because I'd love to see this technology happening. I've seen it in Spain, uh, visited it. Um, it's quite exciting technology to see. It seems to be working there. Um, probably only one full-size um, facility in the world, which is in Nevada, which is um, probably going to be going for a year in its first year of production. I think it's good because I think if their costs are right, then they can probably be competing with gas and we're going to need their storage and battery storage is not going to be the full answer. But you've got some concerns, David. Um, you're worried about overcapacity or, or, or whatever. Can you, can you tell me what your concerns are? Well, I was interested, Giles. I know we had a bit of an, an argument about solar th uh, thermal. It was a I, respectful I, discussion. It was a respectful discussion, an argument. And uh, uh, that's fine. That's how uh, there's a lot of truth in arguments. And what you said is you saw this 19 megawatt plant, plant in Spain working. And I just commented that the solar reserve plant in Nevada which cost US a billion. Um, and frankly, it's been offline for the last five months. And I was able to find out at the conference, so its capacity utilisation's never got above 40%. And also, frankly, other various other solar thermal plants haven't been that successful historically. Now, this is a new technology. It's a utility scale technology. You've got to build plants typically of 100 megawatts and up and they take a long time to build. That solar reserve plant started in 2011. Here we are in 2017, it's still not working right at this very second. And I think when you get to South Australia and, and they say the costs have come down very dramatically uh, to a level, whereas we're talking US 1 billion there, that we're talking apparently in this Aussie 700 and something million for South Australia, but it's a big risk to spend that much money on a brand new technology in a small market. And uh, if you run into those five year style delays and long commissioning, it's really not going to be much help. And that's where I just have a question mark as to whether I suppose South Australia is the right place to be putting uh, such, a such a novel plant. Mm. Well, I guess there's question marks over all their sort of storage options at the moment. I mean, they're at the moment, they're having a tender for um, battery storage. Now, we've seen some battery storage around the world at, at, at um, capacity and at scale. Um, that, too, is going to be a very big lump of um, storage um, into a single market. So I think whichever way they're heading, um, they're probably going down to um, breaking down some barriers. Um, and they're probably going to be needing some storage very... Um, soon because I'm going to go to your the numbers that you actually produce for us at the moment and it's a shame we can't put them up on the screen but I'm hoping you're going to be writing a story about it very soon um, and these are the numbers now as far as I can gather and you can probably explain it better than me but um, looking at them what you've done is you've actually worked out how much capacity is being built at the moment um, in each state um, in wind and solar and what that will look like at the end of 2018 and the big number that has really struck me 
is that in South Australia, by the end of 2018, according to the numbers you have here, 64% will come from wind and solar. Uh, that's right. If I looked at demand, which is about uh, 13 terawatt hours, we think there'll be as much as 8 terawatt hours coming from wind and solar. Now, I've adjusted the demand numbers up for the rooftop production. Uh, so those demand numbers are higher than would be reported by uh, AMO. I guess the overall numbers show that I'm expecting about 190 terawatt hours of demand, excluding Tasmania. Sorry. Um, um, Apologies and, to our Tasmanian listeners. And um, about uh, um, 6.8 terawatt hours of rooftop PV, about 4 terawatt hours of utility PV production, and about 18 terawatt hours of wind production to give you a total of 28.8, which is still only 15%. I guess in one, one sense, it's exciting that we're going to have 12.5 uh, gigawatts of renewable energy by the end of that year uh, of capacity. And on the other hand, it's disappointing. It's still only 15%, which is nowhere near enough in, in this market. But when you come to South Australia, what we see is that there's going to be at least 800 megawatts of new capacity, not just the wind and PV, but you've got the new gas turbine. You've got the upgraded outlook for Pelican Point. And I just high prices tend to produce a response. And I, I'm just a bit cautious that uh, some people could get burnt in South Australia. You're going to have the battery and then you might have the solar thermal plant, although it's certainly not going to be in place by the end of 2018. And, and that market um, is, is, is going to have a very high renewable share. And I'm not, not sure. 64% is a big number to come from wind and PV. It, I mean, that basically is the highest number in the world for, for a market. Absolutely, yes. Um, so... I think a lot of that new PV will probably come, um, well, look, there's 500 megawatts um, here. Um, I think some of it will, and will probably have to come with storage attached. Um, you might see some more storage in amongst the uh, rooftop PV. I see you've got 1.1 um, terawatt hours down there for, um, oh, sorry, I've misread that, that utility scale solar. It's interesting, actually. I mean, there's all sorts of people coming up with utility scale solar proposals down there. There's Adani, there's Reach, there's DP Energy, there's Lion Solar. They can't and they won't all get built. Um, so it's going to be interesting. But 64%, um, absolutely. And I think that's the big question for a lot of these developers at the moment is um, it looks really good now. You've got high wholesale electricity prices, you've got a high LGC prices, price, but there is no telling that um, those will continue. In fact, people are even talking at this conference on on. Um, earlier this week, um, particularly in Queensland, um, where there's probably almost a gigawatt of um, large-scale solar being built, that that could well hollow out the price um, during the day. So um, that's going to be very interesting. So in Queensland, we're going to have 2.6 uh, gigawatts of solar running in the middle of the day, including the rooftop stuff. And you have to remember the utility capacity factor is almost double what the household level is, so that the 700 megawatts there is like 1.4 gigawatts of uh, utility scale. So that's definitely going to have an impact on the middle of the day price. And I I think the the real message here is you, you, you need more transmission. In South Australia, that wind's going to have to be exported back to Victoria, which is a good thing. And uh, there is going to be price volatility and people shouldn't assume that what you see in the prices today is what you'll see in the prices in 2019. The markets will move. And I'm presuming what you're suggesting is they're going to move downwards. They're going to, I'm not sure about predicting the prices, but some prices will move down. Others will probably move up. 
the market for deliverability and dispatchability, that's still the key market at the moment. Whether, whether you're gas, whether you're solar thermal, whether you're battery, that still seems to be the place uh, where the opportunity lies. Interesting. Look, a little fun, final comment today, and it'll probably be it's more of a look forward to next week. Um, this is one of the key rules, which um, the, the the five minute rule is, as it has become known. Um, this is basically changing the um, the financial settlement period in the wholesale energy markets. At the moment, it's 30, 30, 30 minutes, which is different to the dispatch period. And there's been a big concern that the fact that there's a difference between the five minute dispatch period and you get six of those dispatch periods within one 30 minute fi- financial settlement that has allowed people to game the market and push prices up higher. Um, the AEMC, um, your good friends, are going to make a preliminary ruling on it next Tuesday. What's really interesting is that this quite sort of archaic rule in a very opaque market has actually attracted mainstream media attention now and is seen as quite an important development to kind of lower the wholesale prices um, in Australia. Um, I think they're going to come down on Tuesday. What are you hoping to see, David? Well, I think most of us are hoping to see a move to five-minute settlement Um Often rule changes nevertheless produce unexpected consequences. This is the third go, as far as I know, the third or fourth go the AMC's been asked to look at this rule. Let's, uh, <laughs> I've just got to the point where I'm just looking for a decision. I mean, so many decisions held up, like on network prices in this competition tribunal and in the AMC. Let's see what this five-minute rule actually produces. It's, it's going to produce require more accounting. And there will be probably some negatives associated with it as well as positives. But I personally think, Giles, uh, it's what we've all been hoping for for some time. That You've got a unanimous vote out, out of the Senate on it. <laughs> I don't know what, what else could actually produce that. So let's hope we get the right decision. Well, let's hope so too, because I just think it's one of those things that's going to help move the market forward. And I certainly think that um, over the last couple of weeks and couple of months, we've actually seen some sort of important um, figures there. So that'll be the big thing for next week. And I think next week we'll actually be having to do it a day early because we've got Good Friday. So um, that'll be our main focus of discussion then. David, thank you once again for joining us. Giles, I'll be up your way for the Blues Festival in Byron Bay and a few other things. Uh, so I look forward to talking again next Wednesday. Good on you. Look forward to that. Thanks, everyone.